Thank you, Michael and the choir orchestra. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, Old Testament book, uh, Judges chapter 6. This, um, this summer, our vacation Bible school, which believe it or not, is about, what's that, about five, six weeks away, uh, the theme is superheroes. And so they've put together a lot of great things to talk about superheroes and you know, we live in an age where superheroes on a real big comeback. Um, when I was growing up, there were comic books that we would read. We'd read about our heroes, and then they took those comic books and they moved those into movies, and, and they're just like on the upswing. Uh, you know, you got Captain America back for his second movie, third if you count the one when they're all together. Uh, you know, you got Captain America, you got the X-Men, you got Superman, you got Batman. Uh, along the way, you got the Hulk, uh, you got Michael's favorite, Thor. Uh, he likes Thor's hair, and so... Uh, so you know, you got all these guys that, uh, and gals that are, that are superheroes. And uh, so, you know, I did a little bit of research on this to see about um, the superheroes. And, and one guy came up with some site and had like about 300 of them. I didn't realize that there were that many. But he did say that there was a personality test you could take to figure out which superhero that, that you are. So I took it. I took the test. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a certain comic book that I would always want to get because there was a certain hero that I liked. But I went and took this test. And when the test came back, it says that my favorite superhero, or the one I would be, would be, put it up, David, it would be The Flash, okay? <laughs> I don't know how many of y'all like The Flash or not, but here's something scary. That was my favorite comic book character was The Flash, fast as could be. So then I went on another website and they began to break down who these people were, you know, in real life, uh, outside their superhero time. And the Flash, uh, the second one, there's different, different uh, ones, there's one, two, and three, but the second one was a guy who was about six feet tall and weighed 190 pounds. I'm five feet 11 and I weigh about 190 pounds. I've got to commit something and, and confess something to you. I am the Flash, okay? I just... <laughs> want to let you know, you know, when you get older, you get shorter. So I lost the inch. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I thought about that, all these superheroes, that when you look in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, don't need to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the hall of fame of faith. It talks about the, the men and women of faith and just some amazing people. And they don't say a whole lot what they did. They just throw their names out. And there's a section where they talk about some of them that are from the judges period, and it just boom, 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 puts their name out there and says, you know, these heroes. So what I thought we would do is this Sunday leading up uh, to um, the 1st of June is let's talk about some of the superheroes of the faith that are found right here in the Bible, and even specifically, let's cover a lot of them that were there in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is an interesting book because it covers an interesting time for the nation of Israel. They have moved into the promised land. They, they do not have a king, but what they do is they have individuals that God will raise up, and he'll raise up certain people to be their rulers. But what you see in the book of Judges is there is a cycle that takes place with the people, and that is the people who have been loved by God, who have been brought into this promised land by God, they rebel against him. And when they rebel, after they rebel, all of a sudden, retribution happens. 
And what that means is that other nations, other people, enemies will rise up and then they will enslave the people of Israel. So they rebel, and then there's retribution, but then there's restitution or, or where they call out. There's repentance. Excuse me, there's repentance where they call out. They say, oh, God, we're sorry. We, we, we for, ask you to forgive us of our sins. We've turned away from you. We've done wrong. And then what God does is he comes in and he restores them. There's restitution that takes place and restoration in which he restores them back to their place that they should be in. And then they travel a little bit longer in life, and then they fall back into that same cycle. They rebel against God. Retribution happens. Once that retribution happens, once it gets bad enough and the fire gets hot enough, they all of a sudden they look to God and they repent. And then once they repent, then God will forgive them. He restores them. But this goes on over time. And this was going on in Judges chapter 6. And in Judges chapter 6, we will be introduced to a man by the name of Gideon and his 300 men. Now, in Judges chapter 6, there's a group called the Midianites who are on the east side, and they come in, and they travel west, and they come into the land of Israel, and they travel in during harvest time, and then they just set up shop, and they eat all their crops. And they eat their crops, they're rough on the people, they steal their livestock, and the people are so scared that many of them are hiding in dens and caves because they're scared of the Midianites. And so constantly, whenever they try to grow their crops, here come the Midianites, and they bring some other friends with them, the Amalekites and others, and they come in and they just swarm like locusts and they eat all the food, then they go back. And so this went on for about seven years, and the people were so dispirited, and these people were built down, broken down, they finally called out to God. They got to the point to where they finally just called out and said, God, we need your help. We just can't keep going this way. And God sent a prophet to them and he said, listen, this is happening because of your rebellion against God. And so they continued to call out to him. And as they called out to him, we are introduced to a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon, it says, was down in a wine press and he was threshing his wheat. Now, the thing that's odd about that is that during that day, when you would gather your wheat, you would take it up to a place up on a hill, and you'd put it on the hill, and on this slab on the hill, you would then take that wheat, and you would have an animal, an oxen or something, step over it and break out the shaft from the wheat, and then the winds would blow and blow the shaft away, and then you've got your wheat. That's what you need. But he was so scared that he was down in a wine press where no one can see him, and he didn't have an animal, it was just him, and he was hitting it, trying to break the shaft from the wheat so he could have some food for his family. And an angel shows up, and it says, O valiant warrior. Now, that just doesn't make sense. O valiant warrior. Now, here this guy is, he's just trying to get a meal for his family, and he's hiding, and he's scared, and the angel says, oh, valiant warrior. And look what he says, and look at the response. When you look at verse 13, at the end of 12, it says, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And Gideon's first response to this angel of the Lord is this, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, and now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian, and on and on and on and on and on. So the angel comes, and so he starts complaining. You know, why hadn't God done this? And why has this happened? And why hadn't that happened? You ever feel that way? Do you just watch the evening news? And then you start saying, God, why is all this happening? 
And, and then all of a sudden you pick up the paper, you go on the internet and you read something, you see something and something else is disappointing you. And so you're just complaining to God and yada, yada, yada. And why is this? And why is that? And look what the angel said to him. The angel's response was this. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. You know what he said? I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm tired of hearing your questions. Do something. Do something. Don't sit here and whine and complain. Do something. And he says, I'm sending you to go take out the Midianites. Now, if an angel of the Lord came to you and gave you this task, the people who had put you in fear for seven years, what would your first response be? Make excuses. Is that correct? Can you raise your hand? Anybody honest over here? That'd be mine. I'd be doing the fastest backstroke you've ever seen in history. And that's exactly what Gideon did. He said, why don't you do something? Well, whoa, whoa, hold it, hold it. Look what, whoa, whoa, Lord. And, and he said to him, hey, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. You know, we're the tribe of Manasseh, and, and, and our clan, our particular family over here, we're out the weakest, and I'm the least of the least over here. I've got the wrong guy, and, and all, here we come. You know, I, I, I'm not the right age. I don't have the right resources. I, I, you know, I don't have the right standing in the community. I, I don't have the right reputation. I don't have, I don't have. And you see, God didn't ask him to give him a resume. God said, I want you to go because I send you. I'm not asking you to lay out, well, well here, are my, here, here are the benefits that I've gotten, and these, these are the things that I don't do well, and these are the things I do well. He didn't ask that at all. Look what he comes back and says to him. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. But I will be with you and you will strike them down as one man. You know what God said? All you need is my power and presence. He said, if you've got my power and presence, you can do anything I ask you to do. And you know, they outnumber you. You will strike them down as if it's a one-on-one confrontation. Because you've got my power and you've got my presence. You don't need to depend upon your own abilities and your own resources. You depend on God's power and God's presence. Now, it is important what God has gifted each one of us and our abilities and our resources. And it's important of how we studied, prepared, because as we do that, God sets us up to be able to use us in a number of exciting ways. But if we ever see a task that we think that God is assigning us to, and we can check that box and say, I can do this because I have the abilities and the resource, it is not a God-sized task. Does that make sense? What God is asking him to do is something that is impossible. He's asking him to do something that will require so much faith that is beyond his abilities and his resources, and God says, my power and my presence are enough. It's enough. It's all you need. Discussion ended. And so then Gideon, who's still a little nervous about that, says, I just want to make sure I I get a sign from you. So he ran in there and he put together a meal and he takes this meal and he brings it to the angel. And the angel says, put it on the rock. And all of a sudden, angel takes the staff, looks down there, lightning bolt, and it puffs. (laughs) He's like, whoa, it's a good word. And then the angel left. 
And so all of a sudden Gideon says, wow, this, is, uh, th- this must be the thing to do. Then the angel comes back to him and he says, there's some things that they've got to take place before all this happens, okay? And he begins to share some things and there's some things that every one of us, I think, needs to know and just to take in place in our own minds that when God asks us to do something that requires an incredible amount of faith in him, I think these are some of the prerequisites. Number one, the very first thing is to remove sinful habits. Is to remove sinful habits. This message is not a rah-rah, get you fired up, take your abilities, run out the door, and, and, and go do something. This is, let me first of all, get connected with God and talk to him and let him do some introspection of my life. Because what happened was as soon as Gideon had had this first contact with the angel, the angel came back to him and it says in, uh, in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that's beside it. And then build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take that second bull and make an offering to me. What he said is, your father's house, the home where you are, there are false gods there. There are sinful habits there. There are things that have taken residence in your life. And before you go to war with me, we got to get those out of here. And so he said, I want you to go and I want you to tear those down. And I want you to take down that bale and tear it down. That was an idol. And then take the Ashereth, which is a wooden pole, which was a goddess that was being worshipped there. And I want you to take that. And when you take that wooden pole down, I want you to chop it up and use that wood to build a fire. And then I want you to take that second oxen and I want you to slay him. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. You remove your sinful habits. And what's interesting is it says in here that Gideon was scared so he didn't want to do it during daytime, so he was going to do it at nighttime. And then not only was he afraid to do it, but uh, it also says he took 10 men of his servants. So he took 10 men with him, and he went at nighttime to do this. I like that. Do you know why I like it? Because it shows that, that all of a sudden Gideon just didn't become some brave man just because he had this initial encounter with the angel and said, I want you to do this. You bet. Hadn't thought about doing it all my life, but I'm going to do it right now. Scared to death. I'm not going to do it during the daytime. I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to do it at nighttime. I'm going to take 10 men with me. You know what that says, men? Sometimes to get rid of some of the idols that are in our lives, we need to take some men with us to help us with that. And guess what? There'll be some guys who'll be glad to walk with you. And ladies, the same thing. We're not in this Christian life by ourselves. We're not lone rangers over here. He's not a superhero, okay? So we're not lone rangers, We bring some with us, and he brought some men with him, and he brought together, and these men together, they tore down those idols, and they made that sacrifice, and when they did that, then they were rid of those sacrifices. You see, you must be with God in worship before he will be with you in warfare. And you cannot sit there and claim, it's okay, God, we're going into the warfare, but yet I've not worshiped you, and I'm still carrying that same junk in my life. Let's go into warfare. God says, no, I tell you what, let's get that junk cleaned out. Let's get some victory in your life. You must be with God in worship first. And when you're with God in worship first, then he will be with you in warfare. And then he gets you ready. So Gideon did this. And so he tears all those things down. And he says, okay, I think I'm getting ready. I think I'm ready for the battle. Then all of a sudden nighttime comes the next day. And 
He says, you know, Lord, I'm just not, I'm just not 100%, 100% sure. And then all of a sudden, verse 34. In verse 34, it says this. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord. The second point is you will be replenished by God's Spirit. Once you clean out all the trash in your life, and you get with God and you worship with him, he says, now you're ready for warfare. You're ready to do this thing I've asked you to do. And then it says that the Spirit of God clothed him. Don't you love that? It's just like he clothed him. It's just like he put that jacket on him. And if this jacket was like the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden it just clothed him and it, and it filled him. And then all of a sudden it gave him the strength and he, he blew the trumpet. What that meant was, he says, we're calling guys together. We're going to put an army together. We're going to fight the battle. For seven years, we've been under their control. For seven years, we've done this. But now, I'm blowing the trumpet, and the people from his town, his area, they followed him first. And then he went and sent messengers out all around to say, bring everybody together. We are going to attack the Midianites. Get them all together. So they sent out word. They sent messengers, and Gideon sitting there feeling pretty good about himself now. And even clothed with the Holy Spirit, he comes to that night, and he's got questions, and he's a little nervous. And look what he says. In verse 36, it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as, what does your scripture say? You have said. i repeat that again. You have said. Talking to the hand. Repeat this, all right? You have said. He says, You've already said that you will do this. And he says, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you'll save Israel by my hand as you have said. This is what is called like laying out the fleece. And he says, Lord, I'm laying this fleece out and I'm going to put this fleece overnight. And when I wake up in the morning, if the threshing floor is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll know that you have called me to do this. Well, he woke up the next morning. Sure enough, the floor was dry. The fleece was wet. He was wringing it out. And then he went back to his eighth grade science class. And he realized that moisture would stay in that fleece more than it would on the floor. So this is probably not a real miracle. This is probably just what happens overnight. So he comes back to God a second time. And look what he says. In verse 39, then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me just test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the floor only on all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only and all the ground there was dew. Let me tell you what God did. And that is that we will be reassured by God's faithfulness. We'll be reassured by God's faithfulness. What Gideon had asked, and, and this is where a lot of people come in, they say, when I'm trying to determine God's will, am I supposed to lay a fleece out like what Gideon did? Well, I don't think Gideon was really wanting to know what God's will was. I think he already knew what God's will was. Because he says, as you said, now, stay with me. We don't have to be a seminary graduate to know when God tells you something, that's his will. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen? So when God tells you something, that's his will. 
And even Gideon said that because he said, as you have said. Now, if I'm supposed to do this, as you have said. So really what Gideon's looking for is some courage and some reassurance from God. And you will see that throughout this whole uh, account that God continues to reassure Gideon. And he reassured him here. And he gave him that word of reassurance. He showed him with that with the fleece. And he said, this is what you're supposed to do. And he gave him the courage to move forward. <clears throat> so now Gideon has been reassured by God. He's, uh, he's got the replenishment of his spirit. He's reassured by God. And so he says, I'm getting ready to go into this. Let's go. So he begins to recruit the men. And men came from all over. And there were about 32,000 men that showed up. Now that is a great turnout. I mean, you blow the trumpet, you send out some messengers, 32,000 men show up. And, and he said, hey, bring your uniforms. Let's get uh, all dressed up for war and, uh, and come together. So they all show up, 32,000. Now, the Midianites, according to our best count, is 135,000. Choir, you're the Midianites today. You got that? So you're 135,000 strong. And they've got 32,000. So you got about a four-to-one uh, odds going against you. Not, not insurmountable, but it's uh, still make for a pretty good fight. So we got 32,000 folks. And it's interesting with those 32,000, he's starting to feel pretty good about himself and everybody's all come. They're dressed in their, uh, in their regalia and ready to fight a battle. And God told him, you know what? He says, you know, that's just probably too many people. And look what he says as to why he says that. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. You see, God says, if I'm going to give the Midianites into your hand, I am the one who is to receive the glory for this. And you've got 32,000, and you've just got too many guys. So what I want you to do, I want you to stand before them and tell them this, men, I appreciate you being here today. Thank you for all of you coming out. I did want to let you know that the purpose of this gathering is that we're going to battle the Midianites. We might not have been clear in the email that we sent out, maybe some of the messages. You may have thought this was more of a reunion of everyone getting together and, and, and talking about old stories and swapping out some, uh, some of the good times. But we are going to go, we're going to fight the Midianites. They have 135,000 strong. It could be a lot of hand-to-hand -hand battle. Some people could get hurt. Some people could get killed. Now, I just want to let you know up front that's what could happen. And I also want to let you know if you're terrified by this and you're afraid of this, then you can just be a wuss and go on home. Tuck your tail, tell your wife that you're a scaredy cat and that you don't want to be a part of this fight, which I know none of you will want to do that. However, we give you that opportunity if you'd like to. I'd like for you to do that and just hurry because we've got some other business to do. 22,000 left. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, at that moment, Gideon was looking over his life and he says, motivational speaking, probably not one of my greatest gifts. I just lost 22,000 soldiers. And what's interesting in the scripture, it says, if you're afraid, and he says, hurry, don't stick around. If you're not going to fight the battle, go on, get out of here, go and move on, hurry on. So now I got 10,000. They've got, how many Midianites do I have? Y'all remember? 
135,000. Thank y'all being with me, choir. Okay, 135,000 Midianites. Now they've got 135,000 Midianites. We've got 10,000 out here. So now we're looking at what is that, about 13 and a half to one odd, something like that? Okay, we're dropping from four to one to about 13 and a half to one. That's pretty tough. But if I got 10,000 good ones, maybe we can, maybe we can take them. God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, we still got too many. We still got too many for me to get the glory because ballot's going to happen. So we want to find out who is really ready for this battle. Run them through a day of drills. He ran them through a day of drills. And he says, you come to the end of the day, I want you to bring them to this big place of water. And as they drink water, I want you to watch them and I want you to divide them into two groups. There will be one group that will, they will come in and they will bend down. They'll cup the water like this and they will drink it and kind of lap it like a dog. Like that, okay? In their hands. And he says, they'll be the ones that'll do this and they'll be looking forward and they'll be drinking like that. There'll be others that they will kneel down and just stick their head in the water and drink it. There will probably even be some, who knows, that may fall in the water because they're so tired and hot and just drink up the water. And if you've been real thirsty, you know what that's like. And he says, now everyone that just does this and laps it like a dog, I want you to put them in this group over here. And everyone else that does anything else different, you put them in a group over there. So they did. They separated them. You over here, you, 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 you over there, one over here, you, you, you over there. And it came up to where those that took the water and lapped it like a dog, there were 300. Over here, there were 9,700. Gideon's pretty smart. He's already got it in his head. He's already moving probably towards the 300 and say, hey, thank you guys for being here. It's been nice to have you. Y'all going home. Appreciate a good day of work. And just as he's getting right over here to, to pat him on the rear and say, thank you for a good job, God says, not so fast. He says, I want you to go over to the 9,700 and tell them, hey, guys, appreciate you being here. You're not going to fight the battle. Hang out, go back to your tents, and I'm going to focus on the 300. <laughs> Gideon said, are you kidding me? No. He said, I need 300. Why do you need these 300? I need these 300 because after they did a lot of work, and when they took that water and they kept it in their hands, and then they began to drink it, if you lap it like a dog, it means you're keeping your eyes forward, which means they're ready for whatever the enemy is and wherever the enemy's coming from. I don't need some guys over here that are not keeping their eyes on the enemy. I need some that are focused on exactly what we're doing. And so 300, I got my 300. That's exactly what I need. Well, the third point was to be reassured by God's faithfulness. Gideon went through all of this and then he's a little on the tentative side. How about you? 300 versus 135,000 Midianites. Y'all do that math, right? 450 to 1. So 450 to 1 are the odds now. We've gone from 4 to 1 to 450 to 1, and we've got 300 going against 135,000. How in the world is this going to take place? God has asked him to do something to take a faith step to where you have to depend on God. And so now he's coming down here to where he has 300 people. There's got to be some doubt in his mind. But he's done all these steps. He's done everything God has told him. He's even drawn together this army. And now we're just ready to take the battle plan and take that step. And then God steps in and he says, hey, Gideon, I want to get you fired up about tomorrow. I want you 
come over here and listen to something. So Gideon and one of his friends travel over to the camp. And the Midianites are down here around the Jezreel Valley. They're all in this huge area. And they go up and they hide out and they listen to a conversation that one of the Midianites have. And Midianite says, I had this dream last night that there was like this big thing of bread that rolled into our camp <laughs> and, it, and it killed us. And one of the other guys said, all that can be, it can be Gideon. And it would mean that Gideon and the sword of the Lord are going to destroy us. Now, Gideon's listening to these guys have that dream and the interpretation of the dream. Now, all of a sudden, you think Gideon's feeling better about the battle? Yeah. Again, what God did, he reassured him. This happens so often in Scripture. We don't have time to build on this. But when you take a step of faith that you feel God has called you to do, to make a stand, to make a statement, to say no more, and, and to do something that, that is according to God's Word that you need to do, you travel that path, God will reassure you constantly by His faithfulness on there to say, I'm not leaving you hanging out here. And so what that did was that left into the very last thing, and that is to respond to the challenge, and that is to take action. Now, everything else he'd done to now, if he'd done all of this and he says, okay, guys, that's good enough, I think we're going to back off. No. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to respond to the challenge. Now, you've got to take action. Now, here is the action. After he's gone and heard the dream, he comes back to the men. He says, men, this is it. Tonight's the night. This is the way we're going to do the battle. Are you ready? And they're fired up. Give us what we're going to get. You got some special artillery. We got some new bomb or something that's been, that's been the, developed that you're going to share with us. Because he hadn't told them anything. He says, this is what you're going to get. All right? Everybody gets a trumpet. Everybody gets a trumpet. Man. For you, Michael, trombone. Everybody. You know, everybody gets a trumpet. Orchestra, the strongest people. Get your trumpet. Every man gets a trumpet, okay? And every man gets a jar with a torch in it. And that's it. Yeah. All right, you're one of the 300. Stay with me. You're one of the 300. You've gone through all of this. You've heard him talk. You think we got a good, good chance at this. And then he comes to you and says, here's your trumpet. Here's your torch. Take your torch. Put it inside your jar. You're ready for battle. Yeah. This is why I call superheroes of faith Gideon and the 300 men. Because, you see, you could have gone through all of this as one of the 300, and you could have believed and trusted, and this is the thing we're supposed to do, and now all of a sudden it's thrust upon you. This is all you've got. And there are 135,000 Midianites. 135,000 Midianites. And we've got 300 men armed with trumpet, torch, and jar. And what are we going to do with this? This is a great plan. What we're going to do is that we're going to divide up in three different groups of 100. And one of the groups is going to encircle them this way, and then the other group's going to come around this way, and the other group's going to be here. And what we're going to do is we're going to encircle the whole camp, okay? And then we're going to blow our trumpet, we're going to break our jar, show our torch, and say, the sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay? <laughs> and that's it. 
And we're going to win. We're going to win. Okay. How many of you still with me? Y'all still ready to fight that battle? See, to me, one of the greatest acts of faith is that there were still 300 men there. The Bible doesn't say it went down to 134. The Bible didn't say it went to 286. Every one of those men said, okay, this makes no sense to me. This makes absolutely no sense. This is just, I'm going to get murdered. I'm going to get annihilated. But see, what he has been telling him is that you've got God's presence with you, and you've got God's power, you've got God's promises, you make the stand. And guess what? They did. And he says, to verse 21, it says in verse 19, so getting in the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, probably around midnight or so. And when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands, then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars, they held in their left hands the torches and their right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp. Okay. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Isn't that funny? None of them had swords. They didn't have swords. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. We don't have any swords, do we? No, we don't, but just say it. Sword for the Lord and for Gideon. But we got a torch. And when they did that, look what happens. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, and they cried out, and they fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army began to flee. God had already put into their heads this dream that Gideon was going to come with the sword and they were going to destroy all these people. And word began to spread across the camp and people a little bit nervous, wondering what was going to happen. And then in the middle of the night, they're awakened by the trumpet and by the breaking of the jar and the shout, the sword of the Lord and the end of Gideon. And all of a sudden this dream is coming true and they began to panic and they pick up their swords and they began to attack each other thinking that it could be the enemy. And even some commentaries have said when they looked out over there and they saw all those torches and all those men, they believed that there was this huge army behind them that were armed with swords that were going to come after them. And so in their panicking, they were turning on each other and killing each other. And then they began to break through ranks and they began to flee and they fled all the way to the Jordan. And as you read the rest of the story, they were destroyed. And 300 men... Help claim a victory over 135,000 Midianites. Now, if Gideon had attacked with 32,000 men and won, let's say we go on with the first plan. What they would have done is they would have said, Hey, thank you, God, for lending a hand in helping us to win this battle. Does that make sense? Thank you for lending us a hand, God. And what we do is we pat God on the back and say, It's always good to have you on our side. But you know, it was us 32,000 that really did this, and we were pretty well trained, and we got after it. And we appreciate God being that little bit of a help to us over here. But because there were only 300, none of those guys could puff their chest up and say, it was us that did it. All they could do is they say, God, you did it. And God, you're the one that gets the glory. Mark Batterson, the pastor I was telling you about, I'd read some things from Mark. He's a pastor up in Washington, D.C., 
He has some intriguing thoughts about this. He says, too often our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce the odds in our lives. We want everything in our favor, but maybe God wants to stack the odds against us so that we can experience a miracle of divine proportions. Maybe faith is trusting God no matter how impossible the odds are. Maybe our impossible situations are opportunities to experience a new dimension of God's glory. So maybe we are not always to be praying, oh, God, put everything in my favor. Maybe God allows the odds to be stacked against your favor so that you get to the point to where you can say, I got to totally depend on God. And when you do that, then all of a sudden God does an amazing work. And when it's all said and done, you look and you give him the glory. And what God is asking you to do is to take that step of faith. And if you do that, I think you'll leave an amazing legacy. I've always thought about those 32,000. And I thought about what their story was and their legacy. When their children grew up, and maybe even their grandchildren, and their grandchildren came by and would talk to them, and they'd say, Tell me, Dad, about that battle against the Midianites. 22,000 of them would probably have a picture there. They took a group picture of 32,000 back then. And they would look at that picture, and they'd say, it was a great day. And we got together and got to put the old uniform on. Thought I'd put a few pounds on, but I could still get in it. Okay. And uh, saw a lot of my friends. We just swapped a lot of good stories, and it was a great day. It's a day I'll always remember, and I've always got this picture to remind me of just how great those guys are. Then the 9,700, they'll not only have their group picture there, but they'll have a certificate framed, a certificate of participation that they got because they participated in the drills. Yeah, I got to tell you, son, it was great. Got, to, got with all my old friends, and uh, it was fun seeing them and talking to them. And, but you know what? That day they put us through some drills. Man, I didn't think I still had it. You know, you know, your old man could still pick them up and lay them down. I was doing pretty good through there, and I showed a lot more strength than I thought I had. And, uh, you know, I did that little spear-throwing contest. I did good at that, and it was fun. Man, we had a drink of water. I've never been so thirsty in all my life. And uh, so they gave me a little certificate that I had participated in the drills, and it'll always be a special day for me. And then you got the 300. Now, 300. They got a group picture that they took. They also gave them a participation certificate because they did participate in the drills. But then they got a trophy sitting there for winning the battle. And when the grandson sits on their lap, he says, man, it was a great day. Got together with all these friends, really special. Worked us really hard, but it was good hard work. And when that hard work came, I knew from my prior training that I was always to be a soldier first. And then no matter how thirsty I was, that my goal was not just me to quench my thirst, but it was to both quench my thirst and to keep my eyes focused because the enemy could attack you at any time, son. I just, you need to know that. You need to have your eyes open to that. But let me tell you what the greatest thing was, is that Gideon selected me to be a part of the 300. And you may have read in your history books about the Midianites and all the bad things they did and the bad things they'd done to your, to your parents' parents. And to others. And I was a part of the 300 that freed the nation of Israel. Because what 
I got to do was to see God do an amazing work. Son, I was a part of a group that stood there as only 300 men and watched the power of God and the presence of God rain down on an enemy of God and completely destroy them. And I was able to be a part of that group that was sort of the cleanup operation, the mop-up operation that chased them out. And then we've had freedom all these years because of what your God did and because I got to be a part of that 300. Now let me ask you church members, which of those groups carries the greatest legacy? Which one do you want to be? We are all called to be the 300. And will your legacy be 22,000, 9,700? And will it be those 300 men that fought with Gideon, took that step of faith, and allowed God to do amazing things through you that when it was all said and done, you didn't pull muscles in your arm patting yourself on the back. All you could do was get on your knees and just put your face to the ground and say, God, you are holy, and I am not worthy, but thank you for allowing me to be a part of your work and to see your kingdom advanced. You got that opportunity. Every one of us does. I hope that you'll take it. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we thank you this day for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. And we pray, Father, that we would be willing to be men and women, young people, to take steps of faith and to be used by you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.